As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support from people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. So good we started it twice. How about that? Hey, listen, uh, welcome in. It is, uh, if it's good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever the hell you are, whenever you're listening to this, we really don't care as long as you press play and sit and listen to the whole thing. I am Ryan DeMay. I will be your host tonight. Uh, we've got uh, with us some of my trusty and rusty friends. We've got <laughs> Ray the Green Doc and probably the rusty of, uh, rustiest of them all, just due to his Irish heritage, his hair color, and uh, you know probably the, the carpet and the drapes matching. I'm going to say hello to the Lush Factor, Aaron Lushy. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I uh, I just want if I have to do this again when Matt's name comes up, I want it. You know, like it says, you know, Joe knows her. I'd like it to say Lushy across Matt's name. You can say <laughs> you can you can say Lushy. We can. I, I'm sure there's a way through the magic of the soundboard that we can probably do that um, and make it happen. Uh, John Perry, should anybody. For the entirety of this show, in its uh, past history, in its future, ever, uh, do, uh, you know, take away the namesake of Joe Knows Turf. Should it always be Joe, or should anybody oh, else? I, I would advise me. anybody who's thinking of doing this not. To. Uh, see, and that's the <laughs> thing: is Joe Joe fits uh, phonetically, it fits, and personality-wise, um, who doesn't like an? Oh, opportunity I didn't. No, no, to... no. I want mine on the intro credits. That's where oh, I want. Oh, oh, yeah. I would. I want. Oh. I want. I don't want to take any. Uh, look, I don't want to start a feud with Joe. I don't want to start one there. You know, hey. There's already. I, I, I think Joe's already got too many. Yeah. Yeah, he's got enough. He's you're, got the, enough. you're the. You're the fan favorite, man. You're the fan. You're the backup quarterback. Oh. You're everybody's fan favorite today, and we're glad to have you. Seriously. So if you're watching, the Matt Michael Bishop of the Pats. Is Michael Bishop? <laughs> There's a blast from the past. Uh, hey, listen, Tom Brady, greatest, uh, greatest uh, second string quarterback story of all time, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. There you go. So, if if you're not aware, Lushy, huge thanks, Boston Paul Lewis, sports fan. There you go, right there. All right, so listen, uh, a lot to cover. Matt is working the late shift this week, and so. We thought it'd be nice to bring in a third panelist on the show here tonight because there is, uh, you know, there is some good news. We got a couple of returns. There's some good stuff out there. Uh, but, you know, obviously with the way the world's going, we're going to jump right into the headlines and break this apart. Nothing to fear here. 
All right, you know, starting off here, uh, I got a couple of things going on. So, uh, really, we're just going to kind of fly through these gentlemen as uh, we go down here. So, our first topic here tonight, of course, uh, you may be surprised by the best lawn alternative in the state of Indiana. All right, our article here from the Indy Star goes uh, something like this. Before the high heat of summer weekends and mixed among the morning bird songs and the sweet smell of cut grass wafts through Indiana's neighborhoods, some Hoosiers that are growing Kentucky bluegrass, some up for ryegrass. Others are looking for the perfect blend to blanket their yards. For this edition of Scrub Hub, we try to answer our uh, Ariel's submitted question, is there a good turf grass replacement that's dog-friendly and low or no mow? Man, tall order, Ariel. I have a dog, and I've heard clover lawns are a good no-mo option, but don't want to plant an invasive species. There's no straightforward answer here. There are plenty of potential alternatives. So we get broken down here. Uh, we get the short answer from uh, one of our friends, Dr. Kale Bigelow, who is a uh, turfgrass science professor at Purdue University. And he says there are two sometimes competing aspects to answer this question, durability and maintenance. It's a tall order, Bigelow said. To get both things on the same plate, pets can damage lawns by doing their business on grass and even just walking and running across the yard. This means the homeowner might want to opt for a yard filled with something more durable, which is typically a faster-growing grass. These, of course, will require more maintenance, and so certainly we've got some issues there. So uh, we go into it here. There's a there's kind of a point counterpoint here. So there's a, a gentleman named Aaron Stamp Stump. Excuse me, Aaron Stump. He's the Habitat Programs Manager for the Indiana Wildlife Federation. Cautions folks to considering no-mo options to temper their expectations. That's a good point, Aaron. There is no ecologically funded way to have a standard lawn that we see in most of our residential neighborhoods. Stump wrote an email. A low grass, constantly disturbed by mowing and free of weeds, is not natural and cannot be maintained in an ecological manner. Hmm. If you truly want to no mow lawns, there is no option. Option is simply to stop mowing. Okay, well, that's an interesting point. I think the zoning code folks might have something to say about that. But let's see here. So he says, if opting for something completely different, such as clovers, there are a handful of non-invasive choices. So they go on to talk about uh, sweet clovers and how those are considered invasive species, uh, which they are in most states, including Indiana. And then they talk about microclovers. So they kind of go back into this. Talking about some different options here, some low maintenance options. I uh, can talk about Kentucky bluegrass because it's slow growing. Might need, might potentially cut down on the number of times a homeowner needs to mow. Regardless of where you live, there is not a perfect grass, says Bigelow. You can't check every single box. If you want to rank by criteria, tick off three or four big things for you. All right, so uh, they kind of go down here and talk a little bit. A, a couple more quotes I want to pick out from this gentleman before we discuss it. Short lawns don't slow water moving across the surface, nor do their shallow roots filter the water traveling through the soil, Stump says. As a result, lawns lead to polluted and warm water entering our waterways and degrading their quality. So, uh, you know, we kind of go down here, and and that's sort of the, the, the thing. It says, the last thing here is, it's hard to have something worse than a lawn. A non-native plant that requires constant watering, mowing, fertilizing, and herbicide to maintain, Stump wrote. The best advice I can give, and it's no small ask, is to reconsider how our properties interact with the world around us and adjust accordingly. 
There simply isn't a place for expansive lawns in the modern world, given what we know about their impact. Gentlemen, what the hell is going on in Indiana? Is, is uh, did I did I miss something? Are they are, are they at, uh, at will applying restricted use pesticides and mowing their grass so short that apparently it doesn't slow down water and defies all the laws of physics? I'm 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 at a loss here. I'm trying to understand and it Mr. heats Stubbs it up. Position here, it, it and it heats it up somehow. Water, and it heats it up. The, and it heats you know, up. Runs off. It heats up the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> I have a I have a little question again. Uh, you go no mow, right? What are we gonna do about the ticks? The mosquitoes and the bugs that are the present rats. in high am- in high amounts in a non mode area. I mean, what are we going to do about that? Because I still, you know, for lack of a better alternative, think that in highly populated areas mowed and maintained grass starts to become like a very good idea at least from a health standpoint you know uh, uh so again you know the 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 paramount thing i i heard here it, that mr stump was saying is you know clearly he's got an agenda and i get it i understand it um mm-hmm. but i i don't agree with hardly any of it because i don't think it's very well researched and understanding of what turf does as a crop and what it certainly does in urban areas right in rural areas alike so i'm just uh, I'm, I'm at a loss here and it's in, it's just it's an interesting article that i thought was another one of those uh you know lawn hit pieces i do i have to give the indie star credit and the author credit for reaching out to an actual turf grass professor trying to get this information <laughs> right that uh, typically we see folks reach out to Maybe an extension agent, which nothing wrong with that, but I think it's always good to go to the source there. So, uh, Indie Star, you know, fair and balanced reporting. Although, you know, Mister Stump got the last word and you know tried yeah, to it came from try to ra- try to ram I think it down that article a came. Yeah, it came from a slightly look. You don't have to have a perfectly manicured, super dark green. Oh my God, look at that lawn, lawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have the lawn that gets cut twice a, every other week. Maybe not desirable. Maybe not 100% healthy for the turf. Maybe it's got some weeds in it. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to do? Have at it. You know, you don't yeah, have yeah. to have it. Nobody's ramming it down your throat. If you And Ray and I were talking before the show. If you want to have more pollinator areas, you want to put more planting beds in, that's absolutely fine. But if you start, you know, want to do, all right, I'll do a synthetic lawn. Well, that's great. That's going to be what, Ryan? 10, 15 degrees warmer when the sun's hitting it? Put a uh, synthetic turf down at minimum? Significantly more than that. Significantly more than that. And actually, actually, funny you should mention Synturf because in my city, synthetic Mm -hmm. turf is actually highly regulated. I believe it. It's highly regulated. And you know why it's highly regulated? Plastics. Actually, it's that, because oh. the synthetic turf is a poor filter for materials of concern entering the waterway versus growing grass. 
So that was going to be my point, and that's that's a great way. And how a lot of, uh, you know, uh, how do I want to say this, uh, permitting bodies, right, within uh, the United States, particularly here in the Midwest right now, uh, are treating synthetic mm-hmm. turf. They're treating it as an impervious surface, right? So, you know, if you mm-hmm. ever pay your water and sewer bill and they calculate how much impervious surface you have, that, to me, right, uh, is is probably something that I, you know, you hear people talk about urban sprawl and this and that and everything else and concrete jungles and urban heat islands and things like that. I I, I don't want to shift the blame or obfuscate from the issue of, hey, turf versus, um, you know, natural turf versus an unmaintained or no mow lawn, something like that. But I think there's a greater degree of risk to the environment by saying, hey, you know what, that farmer's field over there, man, that would make a great housing development. Or, hey, fuck this, let's put up another strip mall while we're at it, right? Because we need another <laughs> right. nail salon, a bar, and a Dollar I General need right here I need another six acres of asphalt. Exactly. Yeah. I want another and six acres stuff. of asphalt. And there's things that they have to do to, you know, to slow down the water, right, in terms of slowing the velocity down, that they have to treat the water and improve the quality of it before it just goes right into the storm, you know, storm sewer. But turf is doing that naturally as it goes. So I don't know. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But, uh, you know, Mr. Stomp, come on the show. Come talk to us. We'd love to educate you and uh, learn more about your position on uh, the the bane of existence of modern lawns. So thank you very much, sir. All right, moving on to our next art- article here. We've got U.S. quietly asks shipping companies to ship Russian fertilizer? Question mark what? if you're on audio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, this is out of Bloomberg. The U.S. government is quietly encouraging agriculture and shipping companies to buy and carry more Russian fertilizer. According to people familiar with the efforts, the sanctioned fears have led to sharp drop in supplies, fueling a spiral in global food costs. The effort is part of a complex and difficult ne- series of negotiations underway involving the United Nations to boost Deliveries of fertilizer, grain, and other farm products from Russia and Ukraine that have been disrupted by President Vladimir Putin's invasion of his southern neighbor. U.S. and European officials have accused the Kremlin of using food as a weapon, preventing Ukraine from exporting. Russia denies that even as it has attacked key ports, blaming the shipment disruptions on sanctions imposed by the U.S. and its allies over the invasion. The EU and the U.S. have built exemptions into the restrictions on doing business with Russia that would to allow trade and fertilizer, of which Moscow is a key global supplier. But many shippers, banks, and insurers have been staying away from the trade out of fear that they could inadvertently fall afoul of the rules. Russian fertilizer exports are down 24% this year. U.S. officials, surprised by the extent of the caution, are seemingly in a paradoxical position of looking for ways to boost them. The U.S. Push underlines the challenge facing Washington and its allies as they seek to increase pressure on Putin and his invasion and to also limit the damage to the global economy, which is heavily dependent on commodity supplies from Russia, ranging from natural gas and oil to fertilizer and grains. Prices for all those have spiked since the war started in February, a point Putin regularly makes in his public efforts to undermine support for sanctions. Washington sent a representative to UN-led talks in Moscow earlier this month. The supply issues... According to people familiar with the situation who spoke on a condition of amenity to discuss matters that aren't public, inadequate fertilizer deliveries this year could affect also affect next year's crops. 
The White House did not immediately respond for comment. So, you know, this goes on to basically say that, you know, the uh, the sanctions are, are holding back uh, a lot of what is out there currently. And it's basically fear within the market, right? You know, shipping companies remain extremely weary. Uh, in the Black Sea and given the sanctions security fears, that's the other thing is that, you know, just getting ships in and out of there, there's a, a blockade of Russian ships uh, through Ukraine ports and, and things like that. So a very tenuous situation. But, you know, gentlemen, it sounds like, uh, you know, the the U.S. government and its allies have basically said, hey, listen, uh, we really don't want you to do business with Russia. But there's a few things that we would say, yeah, you know, if you do that, it's no big deal. And clearly, a lot of these companies have just said, all I heard was don't do business with Russia. That's all I heard. Right, so I'm not right. going to do business with Russia. And I'm mm -hmm. not going to put myself, my employees, my companies, my contractors, my vendors, anybody else on the limb for you saying that, well, you know, in some cases, it's okay. It's okay. So here's, here's know, where, where do you guys stand? Let's hear it, Ray. Okay. okay, here's here's a here's a known problem is that did you know that Russia is actually blockading movement of agricultural goods uh, out of the Ukraine? Yeah. They're, they're actually doing that because note everybody, the Ukraine is not being sanctioned by the United States. However, they have a problem getting things like wheat, barley, or fertilizer commodities out of the Ukraine because Russia is preventing movement of those goods out of the Ukraine. So that is actually a problem because... Like we talked about in previous shows, barley is important, uh, wheat mm -hmm. is important, and absolutely the fertilizer commodities that the Ukraine produces, thanks to their petroleum reserves, are also very important to the rest of the world. But uh, Putin has directed his military to prevent movement of those goods out of the Ukraine. He's essentially holding the Ukraine hostage right now. And the rest of the yeah, world I'm, for that matter. And <laughs> really, I mean, if you think about it, in, you know, military tactics or whatever is without having to necessarily invade, you encircle a city and you wait and just start, you know, starve them out, right? You either make them surrender. Yeah, you wait till right? they... they you wait till they die. You wait till they die. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. One, and, and one, you, one, die or surrender. So. Companies don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole because they know that, you know, it's a slippery slope of do I, you know, I can get product A, but maybe product B, I think I can get and C, I think is all right. And then the government comes back and says, no, no, you weren't supposed to touch mm -hmm. those. Now we're going to fine you for everything that you've done. Uh, mm -hmm. and you're going to get taxed and, and uh, fined, and, and, and now we're going to shut you down. You can't do it, this, that, or whatever. I don't blame them whatsoever for not wanting to touch that. That is, that is a slippery, slippery slope to even go near. And I, and I think that's the, the larger issue, is at what point are you going to see companies, and I, and I think it's one of those things, right, that you're going to have 
one or two that have to step out on the ledge and the rest probably will but it, it's it, it's going to be one of those things is it going to be somebody that is either forced to out of business considerations for themselves right because hey right. if we don't get this stuff, like what are we going to have what are we going to have to sell or it's going to get so bad in the marketplace that the government's going to step in and say listen like we're not asking you anymore we're telling you you're going to go get the stuff and if you have to go get it from them go get it so mm. I, you know, mm-hmm. this was always, I, I think this was always destined to happen. It, it's, it's, a, it's a game of chicken, right? It's encircling the city, but instead of encircling just the city, right, and, and choking them out, I mean, in, invariably, it's also the rest of the world that's, you know, paying a price here, literally paying a price, you know, at the grocery store, at the pump, and a variety of other places, too, that you're not going to see relief from, uh, at least in any appreciable way, in my estimation, until this all ends uh, peacefully or otherwise. So we'll see what happens, uh, but definitely something to keep your eyes on, ladies and gentlemen. So let's move on to our final headline here. And Ray, if there's anything I know about you, you certainly love a good explosion story. So I included that here in the headlines. (laughs) Actually, I think Matt actually did this. So A three-week shutdown has begun for one of the nation's largest liquefied natural gas export plants after an explosion knocked it out of commission. A good reason to send everybody home for three weeks, by the way, because I have no underwear left because I've completely shit through all of them during this explosion. (laughs) Uh, A Freeport facility is among the country's largest exporters, processing about one-fifth, 20% of America's liquid natural gas supply, much of which is transported to Europe on cargo ships. Freeport LNG, which opened the facility in 2002, announced the disruption early Wednesday morning. The U.S. Coast Guard set up a two-mile radius security zone around the facility after the explosion. I like how the company, uh, I'm sorry I'm editorializing here while I'm reading, but I have to. Uh, They announced the disruption. Um, Disruption. disruption It's a minor disruption. a, A disruption would be, you know, farting at the dinner table. This is a fucking explosion. At a place that handles twenty percent of the liquefied natural gas in America, I would use a different term if I were that company. But I understand why you would want to understate that a little bit. So gas yeah, prices like uh, jump- what, what's I was going to say that that would almost be like when uh, in Better Off Dead when she was drinking Pappy's moonshine and she hit lit her cigarette. <laughs> that's a disruption. Yes, that's a that's a definite that. disruption. There's no but, doubt about it. So. Gas prices in Europe <laughs> jumped after news of the explosion spread, with fears growing about the missed natural gas shipments to the continent so heavily reliant on en- energy imports. The domestic natural gas futures market dropped for similar reasons, a typical response to any event that throws uncertainty into projections for future service. In Texas, that's 2.1 cub- billion cubic feet of natural gas per day that loses an international outlet, meaning more supply will be available in the U.S. during the three weeks of a pair. More supply for existing demand means a lower price. It's unclear how much this will affect electricity prices in Texas, but the boon in available supply will put downward pressure on the prices. Natural gas exports from the Texas or Texas's Freeport facilities totaled nearly 684 billion cubic feet in 2021. The facility is able to pump out about 2.1 billion cubic feet per day. Damn. Facility is estimated to process about between five and seven billion dollars annually. Wow! So, 
You know, basically, they just go on to say that, you know, energy prices are rising from uh, a multitude of reasons, and this incident will just add further fuel to the fire. Pun fully intended. Um, I have to admit, I, they, they had to write that as a pun. There's just no way they didn't. Um, and if they didn't, they've got a shitty editor. So uh, I'm just going to say this is, you know, it, it, Ray, I'll ask you the question. Is this another case of what we talked about in our last burn return where I, I would love to know the cause of it. You know, we talked about all the conspiracy theories and all that, but I think we kind of landed on the fact that I think people, literally the human capital is run ragged at a lot of these places. There's probably less help than there ever has been. You're trying to make stuff work because you can't get parts or things are in short supply, long lead times, whatever the case might be. And you hope that doesn't happen at the goddamn natural gas plant. But here we fucking it are. Does. So what, it what does. do you think? It does. You know, what I think is that this is another case of the whole skeleton crewing and now the lack of uh, supply. And the reason why we even have a lack of supply is because China, with their zero COVID policy has essentially shut down the facilities that manufacture the essential components and parts, whatever that go into say a circuit board for a controller for an industrial plant. And so the effects are just going to keep on rippling out like what happens when I throw a rock into the middle of a pond. It's just going to keep on rippling out. And I don't see this ending anytime soon because, uh, for example, I know that China is fully committed to zero COVID. In fact, Mm -hmm. China is the only country in the world that is continuing to pursue zero COVID. And this just has a global effect on the rest of the world. And there's no good way out of it because us in the United States and Europe, we cannot instantaneously start producing all of the components and items that we outsource production to China with. You know, we just can't all of a sudden snap our fingers and say, okay, we're going to start making circuit boards in Michigan again, for example. We can't do that. Not happening, yeah. right? We can't, we can't do that because a long time ago, we made a decision that manufacturer of that kind of item is going to get outsourced to China for various reasons. Yeah. Well, we didn't want the waste. We didn't want the waste that came from it. No, we don't want the waste. Part of it, or we don't want the waste, or the explosions. However, you know, there was a few. I have to no. I have to make a little commentary in that. For me, I have a personal issue with the concept of exporting danger and risk and environmental contamination to a foreign country where 
they basically have little care for the human life and the environment because my god uh look at how well exporting chemical manufacture to india worked out just to name a few case studies <laughs> right i mean how how well did that work out and now even exporting that to china how well is that working out because even pre-covid there was issues so you know what are we doing and uh are people even thinking through the long-term or wider effects of these decisions because oh yes uh there are not a lot of chemical factories for example in the united states and there's not a lot of manufacturing facilities in the united states anymore but are we coming to regret that i'm just asking are, are we going to regret that <laughs> listen uh i don't know if i have many regrets in my life Except for if I was in an explosion in a liquefied natural gas plant, I would regret that. Okay, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm just saying. I would I too. Would I would too. I would well, too. That'd be not a not too. a place I'd want to be. Yeah. yeah it, Gosh. It's. Uh, I. I think it's supply chain. It, everything is. I mean, anything you want to get, you have to wait for. Uh, absolutely mm -hmm. anything. I mean, whether it be you know your. your ordering parts for your vehicle. I mean, I have a, a buddy who's got a, a truck, that's, a diesel truck that's been out for 18 weeks. He's waiting for two parts. 18 weeks they've <laughs> had his truck. I mean, wow. like, that's Yikes. absurd. Mm -hmm. like, you know, last time I think he's like, oh, it's been 10 weeks. Now we're at 14. Now it's at 18. It, it clicks off month by month by month. And that's six to eight weeks to order, you know, if you want to order a new meter. We have meters that die in the city that, you know, oh, oh got to get a new one. Well, that's six to eight weeks. What do we do? Well, nothing. We can't turn the water on. Uh, you know, Matt was talking about boards that take six to eight months if you're lucky to get them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I have a feeling we have, you know, we have friends in the Discord showing some things that they're doing to improvise and adapt and overcome what they're running into in their job place. And it's not what you know, the norm. It's the new norm of, hey, we got to kind of, it's almost post-apocalyptic where you got to like, you know, we're going to have to wire this, jump this, run this. You know, we're going to have mm -hmm. to, to rig it to get it to, to run. And then all of a sudden something go by, you, you know, you can bypass a, a, a safety feature. I wouldn't want them doing that at a natural gas facility. I, you know, like. Hey, man, it's going to be I don't okay. Know. Yeah, yeah, something that can wipe, yeah. you know, wipe a town off the off the face of the map. You see, I, I don't know, I don't that, know if I want that to go kapoo. Yeah, that's that's just where I, you know, for me, I know how a lot of these industrial facilities they're extremely safe, actually, especially the ones operated within the United States, provided the safety systems built into these facilities are all in working order and somebody has not had to bypass it with a chewing gum wrapper 
and a length of uh, bailing wire. Okay, I I, I know. I mean, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that I joke about it, but that might well be what is having to happen in a lot of these facilities. Oh, the safety cutoff is malfunctioning, but we got to keep this place running. So, oh Lord. Okay, uh, the foil from a chewing gum wrapper and uh, 12 inches of bailing wire. We're going to have to make this bitch run. That's it. <laughs> Without I, I, the safety I, feature. <laughs> I, I, I do this with my Can-Am Roadster all the time, and it makes the girls explode. We're going to do it this way. <laughs> all right, let's go to our favorite segment. Roll it. <laughs> Joe knows tough. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Joe knows turf. <laughs> this could never be replaced. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this segment, if you're new to the show, audio or visual, uh, this is a segment known as Joe Knows Turf. Joe Knows Turf, uh, first of all, is brought to us uh, through the magic of television and our good friends at uh, the OG, the former organic. I don't know exactly where he stands right now with his name. He's in a tough spot label-wise, but uh, Joe... Lawn Warrior is our uh, our sponsor of this segment. We thank him kindly for that. Uh, a great friend of the program, indeed. So uh, this segment is uh, usually something that's sent to us for us to inspect and give our professional guidance and or uh, you know reaction to somebody making statements and whether they're true or not true. And we will see what they say and maybe even offer some alternatives if uh, they so exist. So, without further ado, J-Pink, let's see this week's submission and what we're working with here. 500 square feet each, and in one plot, we're oh, going to test back up. the pipe. you got to back up. you got to go back to the beginning. Sorry if I time-stamped you or something like that. Yeah, but... you absolutely time-stamped me. I'm sorry. It was better than another stamp I could have done. Oh, my gosh. Did you really pay $300 <laughs> for this little bottle? stamp, dude. Come on. This is a $12 bottle of herbicide, and this is a $300 bottle of herbicide. Pause. Please don't tell me you spent that. Okay, for those of you listening in audio, uh, this is a video from Princess Cut Lawn Care YouTube channel, mm. and mm -hmm. um, the creator there went ahead and held up uh, in one hand the bio-advanced uh, all-in-one weed killer and crabgrass mm -hmm. killer as well uh, in one hand. Uh, so if you are pros, uh, I, I believe, Ray, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's essentially like Q4 for homeowners, right? Yeah, it's, and... a, it's a consumer version of Q4. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So if you're mm -hmm. familiar with that, pros, if you're listening along. And in uh, his right hand uh, is Pilex. It's a four-ounce bottle of Pilex. All right? Let's play this and see what he's got to say. And this is a $300 bottle of herbicide. Please don't tell me you spent that much on this. When it comes to weed killers, do you really get what you pay for? Today, we're going to paint some lines in the grass, test out each one of these, and see which one does better. Let's do this. Now, most people associate weed killers with herbicides like this. 
But the reality is there are just some weeds that these won't control, which is where a guy like this comes into play. This is Pilex and it costs $300 for this little four ounce bottle. But why in the world would somebody want to spend such a large amount of money for a little bottle of weed killer? First, we have to take a look at exactly what it is. Pilex is an HPPD inhibitor. Now, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to act like I know exactly what that means. But essentially what it is, is it prevents photosynthesis in the weeds, which result in them bleaching out and then they die. Now, if that sounds familiar to another popular herbicide on the market, that's because it is. This is tenacity, tenacity, and it's also an HPPD inhibitor, just like Pilot. And for some of you guys that might be new to lawn care, tenacity is a very popular herbicide in the lawn care community, and it's been praised as one of the only herbicides that you could use while seeding new grass. Now, both of these herbicides are listed to control a wide variety of weeds, but there are two weeds in particular that Pilex controls that sets it apart from every single herbicide on the market. Now, the first weed that it does an excellent job at controlling is goosegrass and anybody who's had a goosegrass infestation knows just how hard it could be to control it and when it comes to controlling it there's nothing on the market that does it better than pilot the second weed that it does an excellent job controlling is bermuda grass and cool season lawn now this is going to come really handy for all the people that live in the transition zone and have fescue lawns and kentucky bluegrass lawns and they're starting to have bermuda creeping into there pilex is going to do a great job killing it. and also it goes without saying now that we're on the topic Pilex is only for cool season lawns, not for warm season. So you're probably asking yourself oh, right now, which one? What do you think, Ray? Ooh. What do you think? What do you think? Okay. It's probably a safe thing. It's probably a safe thing to say. It's probably a it's safe, a safe thing, thing to say. However, here's where it goes awry. Uh, mm -hmm. One, you do not need Pilex to control goosegrass. Number two, <laughs> Pilex is not the best thing to use if you're trying to remove Bermuda grass from a cool season turf area. You know, that's like two yeah. little bits of uh, information that I would like to see, you know, corrected. <laughs> Lest okay. somebody think mm -hmm. that they spend $300 and that is the answer to the Bermuda grass issue. Conversely, if somebody should have a goosegrass issue in their cool season lawn, there is a less mm -hmm. expensive and easier to use alternative versus Which would be? trying to apply a claim. Uh -huh. Claim extra is a very just effective con control for goosegrass. And in fact, Lushy. We were talking about a claim. Just ordered some. I think this morning. Yeah, this morning. Yes. We were. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of these weeds am I trying to control? Well, the short answer is none of them. Since Pilex is also listed to kill a wide variety of grassy and broadleaf weeds, I'm going to be testing out its use on a more broad spectrum. Now, I understand spending $300 on it to use it as a general purpose herbicide is a little bit overkill. However, I do have some tough to control grassy weeds back there that no matter what I apply to it, it seems like they don't go away. So I'm actually really excited to see what it does to it. This is my backyard Pause. and it hasn't been... Pause. Shouldn't we ID Ryan. those first? Yeah, oh, well, that's that's an important part. But that four, the three hundred dollar, four ounce bottle on his small yard. What do you think? How long do you think that will last him? Let's do the math real quick. Uh, Jay Pink, go ahead and can Stay's you? He's got what two thousand square feet. 
total? Twenty five hundred. All right, let's let's just do the math right here on the fucking video, and 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 settle this this price thing for a second because the price of the bottle is one of the most misleading and terrible metrics to use. So what is eight thousand eight? Oh, oh, boob. Yeah, got it. It's his income. Uh, <laughs> that's his salary. That's Her his year. lowly salary as the producer of Bird of a Turn <laughs> on his. Oh, uh, that's, I think it's a twenty twenty. I think it's twenty year contract. That's in, actually, that's in pesos. Yeah. <laughs> that's in pesos. <laughs> okay, uh, I can buy some guacamole. Okay, with so, this. this is great. So, so if we've got the calculator out, right, Ryan? Average. So here we go. Rate, uh, on a well, I'm gonna cool go full season rate. turf, mm-hmm. ounce and a half. Send it, Ryan. Send it. Yep, ounce so and a half per acre. I'm looking at the label so right now. Ounce so... and a half. All right. So here we go. So <laughs> we got four fluid oh, wait, ounces in the bottle. That's an ounce and a half per acre. Yes, sir. Four fluid ounces in the bottle. Divided by 1.5, which is our max rate that we would use on a per acre basis. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna cover 2.66666 acres. Repeating. And we're going to go ahead and uh, multiply that number by 43.56. So we're going to use that as M as an abbreviation for 1,000 square feet. So that's 43.56 M. So right there, right, we should be able to cover 116,160 square feet. All right. So let's go ahead and divide 300 divided by 116.16. And this is going to give us our dollar per thousand. So, Lushy, if you're an applicator at home and you've got to use a 1.5-ounce rate of this product, uh, you are spending $2, and we'll just go ahead and round up nicely and make it $2.60 per thousand. Per thousand. Not bad. Not bad. Not no, bad it's a specialty all. herbicide. For a, for a very good herbicide. Not bad. Right. That's not so, bad. Not when you get a so is the other stuff that's out that is so self. Okay. So, so now let's go ahead and okay. use the bio advance, which I just looked up. He has it at thirteen, but through the magic of inflation, it's already at fourteen on Amazon. Bezos is hungry. He's he's hurting. I got a twenty I got a like twenty nine ounce bottle for thirty four dollars and nine cents on do my own. The so the, the the homo the Walmart version that he's using is the five thousand square foot bottle. So we're gonna go ahead and take okay. uh, fourteen dollars. It's thirteen ninety eight if you're at uh, Walmart, by the way. But we'll call it fourteen dollars mm-hmm. here, and we're gonna divide that. Uh, well, hey, we got to do the math here real quick. So uh, that bottle covers five thousand square feet. So we already know that. So fourteen dollars divided by five thousand square feet. Gives us a answer of no 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 five five m sorry fourteen divided by five fourteen divided by five so you're at two dollars and eighty cents per thousand mm-hmm. so with our watered down product our consumer grade product we're at two dollars and eighty cents per thousand and on our professional grade product we're at two dollars and sixty cents per thousand now we haven't talked about the use cases but let's let uh, this play out and see how he sets up this experiment. I'm interested to see. Treated for weeds this season or last season. No pre-emergent, no post-emergent, 
nada. But luckily for us, we have a full-blown salad bar back here that needs to be taken care of. So not only are we going to test out Pilex today, we're also going to test out this $12 bottle of BioVents that I got at my local Home Depot. It's a three-way herbicide. It's supposed to kill both grassy weeds and broadleaf weeds. Is it possible this $12 herbicide does a better job than a $300 bottle of herbicide? Let's find out. So we're going to paint off two sections of the lawn, 500 square Pause. feet each, and in one... I'm trying to think, Ray, of other than crabgrass, what, and help me out here, because I'm really just like thinking about this on the spot, uh, what other weeds would you put these two products head-to-head -head on? It's Pilex on like, almost you know, Almost none. Or anything almost, else. Mm, yeah. Almost none, because you see, there's, a, there's no fair overlap, because you see... Uh, that bioadvanced product is a very good pick for general broadleaves and crabgrass. Whereas, you know, if somebody wants to break out the pilex, I can see doing that if they're invaded by nimblewill, bent grass, or goosegrass. You see, there's like a, a, a diverging use case scenario that. I don't think it would be fair to put up Pilex next to a three-way plus quinclorac, for example. It's not fair. Do, do, don't mm -hmm. you agree? It's not fair. No, at all. I, I don't. Th I don't they're think two so. Different, and, two different animals. Yeah, that's, that's two what I'm saying. Is so like to just yeah, yeah, two different use cases. There's not a lot of crossover here. So all right, let's see where he takes this. If you want to. Jump forward. It looks like we have a treatment A, a treatment B here. He's talking about how to mix. That's all good stuff. How to Probably apply. Let's and judging by the look of my lawn, there's a whole bunch of dandelions back here. So I know it's going to do a good job or theoretically should do a good job killing them. Feel that beat? Hi guys, so it's been a week. We're over here in plot A right now where we just sprayed the Pilex. And if you take a look at these grassy weeds down here, you can see it did a great job bleaching it out. I'm not exactly sure what weeds these are, but the thing about grassy weeds are sometimes you won't even know you have them until you treat for them because they can hide in plain sight. Pause. So we're randomly spraying herbicides just to see them lighten up? <laughs> so like, uh, Did you get that and... same job? No, my no. my and, concern went to HPPD inhibitors and their known bleaching of uh, perennial ryegrass and certain older uh, species of tall fescue, right? So, you know, for instance, tenacity, I'm not sure what the critical rates are in Pilex uh, out of, uh, off of memory, but uh, tenacity in particular, anything over, I think five, when you're at five or above, you're going to see bleaching on... Uh, Perennial ryegrass, not to the extent that you're going to kill perennial you'll ryegrass, see, you'll but you'll see it on it, you'll bleach uh, it. You'll bleach it at four. I ble I just ran right. some at four ounces per acre, and it was it, it bleached it. It snowed. I'm allowed it's to snowed. do that. It's fine. It's, it's snowed. It's right. snowed so, a little. And... Just a little bit. Right? I just It was after the alignment application. It's very clear that we have some kind of invasive grass over here growing. Now let's take a look at the broadleaf weeds. It did a really good job killing these broadleaf weeds I have. This is a dandelion right here. You could see that it's bleached out and it looks like it's dead. 
I'm pretty confident that once we mow this a time or two, it's going to disappear and it's going to be completely gone. All right, so we're over here in plot B, which is the bio-advanced plot. And if you take a look down here, you can see it did a good job on these broadleaf weeds right here. These are dandelions, and it looks like, you know, there's a little bit of green left to them, but it looks like it definitely did some damage to them. So over time, once I mow this a few times, we'll see if they start to disappear. And if not, I'll make sure I do a second application. So when it comes to broadleaf weeds, the bio Vance did a decent job putting it down in it. Go back to that a little bit. Did they just say at the bottom something about triclopia? No, so here, so BioAdvance did a surprisingly good job killing clover. I did not expect that as it does not contain triclopyr. Well, Ray, for the audience mm -hmm. at home, clue me in as to why the BioAdvance did such a good job and remarkably well at controlling clover. That is because the BioAdvance is carrying a significant amount of quinclorac and quinclorac can be extremely effective in controlling clovers especially when combined with your conventional three-way of course ideal situation would be if uh, say you did triclopyr and quinclorac that is actually the premium treatment for clover but the BioAdvance product kind of hit it right without being too expensive. I mean, it worked. You know, the standard is three-way plus some quinclorac, and you can pick up clover, you can pick up crabgrass, and you can pick up dandelion and all do that at a fairly economical price. Because, by the way, this is not a fair comparison because you could apply your own three-way tank mixed with bulk quinclorac and do it at fairly economical prices. So, you know, this is just not fair, right? Lushy, this is not a fair comparison. <laughs> nope. It's not. So when it comes to broadleaf weeds, the BioAdvance did a decent job putting a dent in it. But I'm taking a look around here at plot B and I don't see any damage to any grassy weeds. So if you take a look around the base of this tree right here, you can see there's a bunch of grassy weeds surrounding it. And I made sure to spray those really good with the BioAdvance. But I don't see any damage done to it. So once this experiment is all done, I'm going to go ahead and broadcast spray Pilex across my whole lawn. And see if it does any damage to any of these other invasive grasses that we have. If you guys want to see the results, make sure you guys follow me on Instagram because I'll be posting them there. So what do I think about these herbicides? Well, they both did a decent job killing broadleaf weeds. I would say that the Pilex did a little bit better job than the BioAdvance, but that doesn't mean you should go run out, spend $300 on a bottle just to kill broadleaf weeds in your lawn because there are other much cheaper options out there like Speed Zone and T-Zone that will only cost you about $30 a bottle and they will do a much better job than either of these herbicides at killing things like dandelions and thistles. Now, when it comes to grassy weeds, the BioAdvance did a terrible job in plot B, I didn't see any damage to any grassy weeds. But this is where Pilex shines. It did an amazing job killing the grassy weeds in my lawn. So if you have some tough to control grassy weeds and you tried other cheaper options like Quinclorac and you haven't had that much success with it, then I think Pilex may be a good option for you. Hey, but we're also going to test out a herbicide right. combination Pasta. that is dubbed by most herbicides. Wait, wait, wait. What does he say here?
crabgrass professionals as the absolute best way to kill crabgrass in a lawn. And that combination is nicknamed the pile driver, which is a combination of Pilex and Quinclorac. Quin, 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 he invented that. Quin, Quin. I'll be in, I'll be interested to see how he how he puts together his pile driver. So, all right. Um, yeah. That's our Jono's <laughs> turf segment. I think uh, you know what we what we can take away from that. What we can surmise is uh, number one: identify your weeds correctly so that you are using the proper product and you're not spending more than you need to. I think that's that was a good takeaway, and I I, I think that uh, that. Princess tried to impart that in his own way, but I think he could have been a bit more forceful in, in saying that and showing that a little bit better. Uh, I think number two is the price of the bottle is not the price it costs you to apply. It's simply the amount of scratch that you're going to have to put forward to get it in your hands, right? So, you know, think of it like that. And lastly yeah, is... There, there uh, is the stick of shock when you buy a pilot. There is. Because... Yes. 40, 30, 40 not, bucks, you're buying what? something else. I don't get sticker shock when I know it works. How's that? That's 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't bother me either. It just doesn't bother me if uh, I know it works. I mean, it's uh, a matter of, and like Ryan said, if it can do what it's going to do and do and come in at such an economical price, I'm game. Because for me, but you got to think of it from his his customer yeah. st- or viewership, right? Is a homeowner with anywhere from twenty five hundred square feet to twenty thousand square feet. Maybe mm-hmm. there's another route that they can go that's more economical. Mm-hmm. If you have a small yard yeah. like that, that you know, one hundred sixteen thousand square feet, he can spray that lawn for like ten years. Yeah, 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 yeah. He can he can do that for. For 10 years, and the thing is, is that I'm going to bang on him for not picking the best product for his situation because unless he has a lot of nimble will, goosegrass, or bent grass, he doesn't need Pilex. He doesn't need it. Yeah, Lushy, he just, he just don't need it. I mean... I think the Quinclorac plus three-way would serve him a lot better. And I don't think he gains anything mixing Quinclorac and Pilex either because, uh, Ryan, what is your use case for deploying something like that? When would you bust that out? Pilex? Pilex and and Quinclorac together. When would you... Oh, that uh, only, only if we're post-emergent uh, crabgrass removal. I would not rely on one single chemistry like quinclorac. Uh, again, I, um, I, I subscribe to uh, the, multiple modes uh, of know, action. Multiple yeah. modes of action theory, right? The uh, I mm-hmm. want to spray this once, and I want to see results, and mm-hmm. I want my clients to see results and I don't want to have to come back and waste time, right? In terms of yes. application, in terms of healthy turf, uh, you know, pushing through to fill those voids, whatever the case might be. Uh, yeah, there's no reason. Uh, what's, what's the phrase, Ray? We, we shan't be fucking around. Exactly. And I mean, weeds that, are that's green. my favorite. Yeah. And the weeds are green. So, 
I, I just have to wonder because theoretically, I'm just not seeing the use case scenario for something like Pylex and Quinclorac together, except in what I call a salvage situation. Mm. And that's and that salvage situation would be somebody didn't put down pre-emergent for whatever reason, and now it's turning into a shed fire. Then I'd I could see it, but I don't see it as a routine application because, my God, that is a bit extreme and. If you need to go to extreme control measures on a regular basis, mm-hmm. I think uh, the overall management program needs to be relooked at. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got to give I've got to give credit where credit's due, and uh, you know the last point I'll make is that uh, he, he he upsold the shit out of that uh, next video coming up. So uh, probably yeah, lots of share sale links going his way. So hey, he's he's doing his job. Doing his job. All right. <laughs> let's move on now uh, and get uh, hotter than a liquefied natural gas explosion at a plant. <laughs> Fire! Oh! 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 What did I what did I do? Oh, I skipped the sponsor. Uh, you know what? I'll do it. I'll do. I'll read the sponsor when I want to read the sponsor. All right. <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there. Okay. It's, it's, I just wasn't feeling it at that time. Uh, I wasn't feeling the sponsor. All right. Let's jump into our first burn here. And uh, before we, uh, man, before we get there, we'll 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 talk about sponsors here. All right. Uh, our first one here comes to us from Oklahoma City. Uh, landscaper shot at a rock hits vehicle in Oklahoma City. A landscaper was shot after a rock hit a vehicle. Uh, on Monday, a man was sent to the hospital after the incident. Percy Young and his brother were landscaping when one of their weed eaters spit out a rock and hit a car. Instead of taking an insurance card, the angry driver pulled out a gun. I would have had him taken care of. My insurance is for a hundred grand, but I guess he wanted to cash it right there. Young said the infuriated driver got out of his car, crossed the street, and threatened the young landscapers. He said, a rock hit my car. I tried to tell him I have insurance. He said, no, 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 you're going to pay for it right now. That's when Young said the driver flashed a gun. I just put my hands up and said, I'm not going to deal with this. He put a gun in my back. I slammed him down, wrestling, trying to get the gun out of his hand. My brother saw this and jumps and tries to get the gun, Young said. Young's younger brother, Messiah, was shot twice, once in the leg once in the chest, two inches from his heart. Goodness. I had him in a headlock, and I was just, I hear my brother crying for help, and I asked the dude, hey, if I let you up, will you please leave? Young said the driver ran to his car, sped off, and police were on the scene three minutes later. I just want to know if it was worth it. Was a rock in the car really worth a gunfight and trying to shoot us? I don't know what to say, man. I don't know what to say. Would he want that done to one of his family members, Young said. Young said his brother is in the ICU at OU Med, Med and uh, scheduled for surgery soon. He's worried about paying for his brother's uh, hospital bill, so he started to go fund me. So they've raised three thousand dollars here on the GoFundMe. Uh, you know, listen, I I will uh, channel my inner Matt Martin here. 
and I, I will attempt to say what I think he would say in the situation, and that is, what the fuck is wrong with people? Seriously. Why is there, I, I, I don't, I don't understand this. I mean, I'm not anti-gun. That has nothing to do with it. It's just, you know, that's the kind of person that, one, doesn't deserve to own a gun because he's not defending probably, himself. Probably not way, legally. Probably not right. legally. You're probably legally right. Legally obtained. Pro- probably not. But in any fa- in any sense, it's like, uh, I don't I, I just don't get that whole, like, hair trigger thing of just losing your absolute mind over something that's like, you know, are you really going to ruin your entire life and somebody else's because of a rocket in your car? Like, dude, take it down to Earl Shab or Mako and let's, you know, 200 bucks. Buff that son bitch we'll out. Yeah, buff, yeah, buff that son bitch out. You know, or else, I mean, I know about the paintless dent removal places where they stick a suction cup and a puller on it and they pop that out. They buff it, and no one will be the wiser. I mean, this kind of shit is not worth getting shot over. And likewise, I have to worry in my state because something like this often leads to a person being mutilated. There's no guns in Hawaii, but there's some morons that I think should have their hands and their feet cut off so that they can't hurt people. Are we yeah. close to death with Ray? <laughs> this is it right we here. We brought right the right death right talk out of Ray. Uh, yeah, this, this is it. This is it. I mean, this is, this is death talk because I don't think that a rock hitting a car is worth shooting someone over it's not life or death i mean this is ridiculous absolutely well absolutely. i i'd be willing to bet that this is not an upstanding citizen that uh probably is willing yeah. to call the police to file a report in which to go through insurance because mm-hmm. they probably had a bevy of warrants wanted for them and possession <laughs> of an unlawful firearm and any un- other known substance that may or may not been on their person or in their vehicle there's, yes. there's a multitude of reasons that they probably responded the way they did totally wrong not you know completely out of control and they're lucky they didn't get shot because you never know how does he know his brother's not carrying you know what you don't yeah, you don't good... know who's carrying yeah that, that's a fair point it's like it's a good thing that these two men decided to be a better person and if they were carrying not pull out that gun because a rock hitting a car is not a life-threatening situation (laughs) i will say that for the final time (laughs) it is not life-threatening so there is no call for firearms to come out (laughs) at all (laughs) Oh man. Well, and and you know, here here's hoping that uh little brother can recover uh and and be healthy and everything like that. And to all of you that are out there and you know, if you are a pro or whatever and uh you're out on the streets, I mean, again, people are crazy. Like I I you know, 
it's hard to not acknowledge somebody that's irate and pissed and pulling a gun on you, but just be safe out there, man. Like, you know, above all else, it ain't worth it. You know, go home to your family at night. You don't want to end up on uh bird of return for the wrong reason. So, all right, <laughs> let's jump over here to our next story here, which is checking back in with uh, one of our folks on the shit list, and that is Lake George, New York. Story says, Judge Halt's Lake George herbicide plan. The Lake George Park Commission will have to wait to carry out its planned use of chemical herbicide on Lake George after a Warren County judge on Monday halted the plan. State Supreme Court Justice Robert J. Muller has granted a preliminary injunction preventing the state agency from carrying out its plan to use Procellacor EC as a invasive Eurasian water milfoil uh, uh, against the invasive Eurasian water milfoil until the court can resolve a lawsuit filed last month by the Lake George Association and others. The injunction will stop the state agency from using the herbicide this year under the Adirondack Park Agency permit that required the plan to be carried out by the end of June. The APA approved the plan at its April meeting on a split vote. The Lake George Association, Lake George Waterkeeper, Chris Navitsky, the town of Hague, and a lakeshore property owner sued to stop the use of the herbicide, alleging there were procedural errors by state officials and more analysis is needed on how the herbicide would impact Lake George. Muller ruled that state officials did not present an argument... Muller ruled that state officials did not present an argument to support an urgent need to apply the herbicide this summer and concluded the case should move forward while the plan is shelved. While the court is not entirely convinced that the application of Procellacor will result in injury to Lake George, petitioners have succeeded in raising questions in this regard, and it is indisputable that if Procellacor does result in injury, that injury will be irreparable, Muller wrote. So this is interesting. Uh, I, I, obviously, there's a lot of legal procedure involved here, and I think at some point here, we'll probably, not tonight, but uh, at some point, pull in uh, our chief legal analyst, uh, Jesse Bousquet, to get a little perspective on the legalese and some of the angling that's going on here because uh, as, as I'm reading this and understanding a little bit of the backstories I've researched here uh, weeks prior when we talked about this story originally, uh, which if you didn't tune in, basically, uh, you know, there's certain parts of this uh, very large lake that are contaminated with uh, an invasive species that's known as Eurasian water milfoil. Um, really just, you know, a, a basically an aquatic weed uh, that can, you know, cause a lot of damage uh, not only to uh, fish and wildlife, but also to, you know, recreational uses of the lake and things like that. So, uh, the state went ahead and said, hey, we want to put forward a plan and go ahead and take care of this, right, in these very, very, uh, you know, specific areas, right? And uh, some people basically said, no, you're not. No, no, we can't do that. And, uh, you know, I think they might have had best intentions, but, again, the way that this has sort of gone about has been, hey, you're going to poison the lake, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Uh, we did a very deep dive probably three weeks ago, when this story believe, first came I out, I believe pretty... so. Yes, yes, so. And, and I remember that episode. Yeah, and okay, and I think the Adirondack, uh, with you know, association parks, they selected something that is considered reduced risk. You know, 
in the grand scheme of things, this is this is a reduced risk herbicide because I don't see this as a threat to human health. And I'm thinking more in terms of what would be the consequences of allowing this Eurasian milfoil to grow unchecked? What would the possible consequences be? Yeah, and I would love to know, you know, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into, you know, um, the hearings that took place, the evidence that was offered, and also, you know, what type of expert witness testimony was provided, things like that, because I think it's, uh, there's uh, certainly an argument you can make, hey, do we know everything that this herbicide is going to do? No, but I think, you know, in terms of protecting natural resources, protecting public health, all that kind of stuff, it, it is a game of risk mitigation, first and foremost, and you choose the path that's going to mitigate the maximum amount of risk with the least intent or, po- you know, possibility of injury. And certainly uh, the background data that we looked at on this particular product was such that it, it appeared to be that just about the safest possible choice to both treat the uh, Eurasian water milfoil and uh, protect the environment in terms of the waterways, the wildlife, the fish, and that sort of thing. So we'll see how this plays out. Uh, but, man, uh, it would be a curious case to follow because um, I wonder how much uh, legal rancor that you'll start to see when people don't agree with uh, certain applications being made to certain areas, even though they're licensed or uh you know, approved to do so by the regulating body. So we'll see how that goes. So, all right, now I'm going to do the ad read because my producer's in my ear swearing at me. <laughs> you can't hear it, but I have an earbud in. And right now, he, yeah, I am that, okay? Yeah. I, 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 yes, I would do that to somebody's mother. Now, listen, that's, t- listen, that's taking it a little far. Dude. Dude. Oh, wow, dude! He's gonna mute. He's I mean, gonna mute your mic. He, I, I'm just saying, like, I mean, you know, <laughs> if I grew chest hair in the womb, it's not my fault. All right, it's genetics. Okay, don't get on me about it. Jeez. All right, our show tonight and this week is brought to you by our patrons. All right. So, uh, you know, again, we've got a growing, ever-growing group, and we certainly do appreciate it. We know that, you know, times aren't tough, but they're not easy right now. Gas is uh, super expensive, and in fact, it's even more expensive now than uh, the lowest tier on our Patreon, which you can find at www.patreon.com forward slash earn return. Check that out and join if you're not already a member, and you can uh, receive some exclusive content, some cool stuff that we do in recording this show uh, such as the opportunity to watch us live as we do it, including our pre-show where we talk about a variety of topics that uh, we wouldn't talk about just about anywhere else. And so we kind of share that intimate time with uh, just our patrons. Also have some cool after-show content on our Thursday night show, Thirsty Thursday, and a bunch of other cool giveaways and cool stuff like that. And we are doing a couple of other really cool things I want to share. Number one is our movie night. We just did one uh, the other night here that was last Friday, I believe, uh, with Matt. Because if you don't know Matt, uh, he is slowly, 
uh, very slowly been uh, I've, I've made fun of them before this before. It's an, it's an old joke, but he's been lifting a lot of weights. He's been uh, getting physically fit. And he says that the reason is to get more healthy and live a longer life. I personally put my tinfoil hat on and believe it's so that he can lift up that massive rock that he lives up, lives under <laughs> and can come out and visit us from time to time on Friday nights and watch a film. So uh, we reached this milestone. It's been a really cool thing to do with Matt. We've watched three films so far, Fight Club, Pulp Fiction, and Step Brothers. We'll have another one next month. I honestly can't wait for it. I think it's going to be another blast because, again, it's movies that Matt hasn't seen or he can't remember if he did see or not, and uh, it's really cool to watch that. The other thing that we're shooting for that you may not know is uh, 125 patrons, right? If we get to that amount of patrons, uh, which you know we hope to do here over the summertime, that should solidify our annual gathering that we started just last year in the city of Louisville. Got together with about, oh, 40 or 50 of our real good friends that traveled near and far to come see us, talk to us, do a live show, kind of like what we're doing here and kind of like what we do on Thirsty Thursday, party with everybody, visit, and just hang out with the crew. And so we, uh, we're we going to find a way to do that no matter what, but if 125 patrons get on board, then that for sure becomes an annual event. No questions asked, and if we stay at that level forever, then we'll have a party forever and ever, uh, every fall, getting together, even getting Ray over here to the mainland, which if you didn't know that that happened, it actually did. We have video of Matt freaking the fuck out as it happened. <laughs> it's wild. He told us just the other week that he cries about it when he drives to work sometimes, thinking about it because he's overcome with joy. So pretty cool stuff. That's our Patreon. Please visit it. Check it out. Join us. Uh, and if any of us ever asked you to smash a like button or subscribe button, Please, you have the opportunity to mail us uh, dirty things or say things into my earpiece that <laughs> JPEG does. Thank you. All right. Let's go on. Less to than a cup of returns. coffee a day, you two can enjoy. That's true. Well, here we are. Listen, we've talked about a lot of bad news. We've talked about people getting shot. We've talked about uh, large explosions. We've talked about clandestine fertilizer sales and things like that. Let's talk about a little bit of good news, if we can, folks, here before uh, you know we start winding down the show. So, uh, you know, first thing here on the docket with our returns, uh, something I found fairly interesting uh, as I was perusing the news this week. It's an article that go the uh, European Politico. Uh, so, uh, this is entitled "Glyphosate Not Carcinogenic," says EU Chemicals Agency. The controversial herbicide ingredient glyphosate does not cause cancer in humans, according to a scientific opinion published by the European Chemicals Agency on Monday. The agency's Committee for Risk Assessment found that the available scientific evidence did not meet the criteria to classify glyphosate for specific target organ toxicity or as a carcinogenic, mutagenic, or reprotoxic substance. The opinion does not deviate from the stance that EHA, ECHA took in 2017 when it also did not gly classify glyphosate as carcinogenic. Then, as now, ECHA said that glyphosate can cause serious eye damage and is toxic to aquatic life. The committee will publish its report by mid-August. ECHA's opinion will influence the EU's decision on whether to ban or reauthorize the herbicide for use. 
with the European Commission expected to make a recommendation by July 2023 at the earliest, after several delays. In the U.S., thousands of litigants have gone to court alleging that their non-Hodgkin's lymphomas was caused by Roundup, a herbicide sold by Monsanto and now owned by the German chemicals giant Bayer, which contains glyphosate. The World Health Organization's cancer research arm concluded in 2015 that uh, glyphosate is probable, a probable carcinogenic uh, compound, prompting the EU to renew it for five years instead of 15 in 2017. ECHA's remit is the only to, only to look at the inherent hazardness of the substance, not its real-world risk of causing harm. The EPA Food Safety Authority in Panama, Parma, Italy, excuse me, is looking at that part of the, as a parallel study expected to be ready in July of next year. So there we have it, fellas. Uh, you know, the, I think these folks are looking specifically at the carcinogenicity of this particular uh, substance, this compound. And I think the, the I'm interested to hear the real world. I think that is going to probably look at more like residues and things like that, um, where it's found in nature and how uh, it may build up or not build, build up over time. Obviously, um, you know, I'd be interested to see that real world, Ray, because uh, talk about the um, coefficient of adsorption uh, with respect to Roundup and why that's an important fact about that chemical. Okay. Here's a known fact or known property of glyphosate is that it is very tightly absorbed by what are known as soil colloids. And soil colloids include the clay and the organic matter present in soil. But what that absorption means as well is that once soil absorbs it, it is no longer biologically active in the environment. In other words, when soil absorbs it, it is no longer a herbicide. Otherwise, if it were not absorbed, then glyphosate would be a super effective and potentially hazardous herbicide because it would then be something that continues to kill after it has been applied, whereas with glyphosate, you could theoretically apply glyphosate over, say, turf grass that was seeded that day mm -hmm. and not harm the grass seed that's supposed to emerge later. And the reason why you can't do that is because of that strong absorption onto soil particles. So, I, and in order for these environmental chemists to even assay soil for glyphosate residue, guess what they have to do to that soil in order to extract the glyphosate out of it? Lay it on me. They have to reflux that soil in extremely so strong acids to literally decompose and degrade all of the organic matter and clay in that soil. They have to make it so that that dirt is no longer dirt. 
it, it's literally boiled in acid for hours Man. in order to get that glyphosate out of the soil. So when somebody says that, yard every day. yeah, so when somebody says that glyphosate is environmentally persistent, I also have to keep that in the context of is that glyphosate then released back out of the soil and becoming biologically active again? And the answer is no. It is not. Okay, it is not. So it's different from other forever chemicals because, you know, most of the other forever chemicals, do you know what their strike is against them? What's that? The other forever chemicals are readily re-released back out of soil and able to become biologically active again. So PFAS, for example, problem with PFAS is that it doesn't stay absorbed to soil. Instead, it releases back out very easily. Same is true of things like DDT or PCBs. Mm -hmm. It's readily re-released back out of the soil, back into the environment. It doesn't stay locked up because it doesn't take much for example to assay soil for one of these forever chemicals all you have to do is do a low temperature wash with some very common solvents like uh, you know acetone and you get your ddt out of the soil or you get your pfos out of the soil it just comes out in the in the solvent whereas with glyphosate uh, my understanding is is that it's a long process of boiling that sample in acid and very strong acids. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I'm actually even more interested now to see this. Since it sounds like it's you know over a year away, but July of next year, this real world test that's coming out of Parma, Italy, I would be really mm-hmm. anxious to understand their their materials, their methods, how they're going to go through this, and uh, just understand and unpack the the difference between okay it's not carcinogenic but what what uh, you know other uh, issues does this cause potentially downstream right if we use it you know in the situations that we currently do right so in agriculture you know our tiny tiny little sliver of glyphosate use in turf right relative to everything mm-hmm. else so it ought to be interesting to see so we'll keep our eyes peeled on that one now let's jump over here and we got uh the ohio capital journal is briefing us here on a couple of things so members of the u.s house agriculture committee are considering how to help farmers struggling with rising fertilizer fuel seeds and chemical cost unfortunate harvest of the war the unfortunate harvest of the war in ukraine strains on global supply system and inflation and severe weather all right that was a weird first sentence. Uh, a panel of the committee heard from agriculture economists Thursday as lawmakers debate how to structure a federal safety net in the next farm bill due when the current programs expire in 2023. The debate comes as traditional corn, soy, and wheat farmers straddle both sides 
of inflation and the economic effects from the war in Ukraine. They're seeing both huge increases in prices for their crops and soaring costs for everything that they have to purchase to plant them. Quote, since 2018, when the last farm bill was written, farmers have experienced the economic impacts of the trade war with China, marketing and supply chain disruptions have ca- caused by the pandemic, historic weather events, and now extreme volatility in the commodity and input markets, said Rep. Cher- Sherry Bustos, an Illinois Democrat and the chairwoman of the subcommittee that oversees farm commodities. This ha- all has implications for the next farm bill, Bustos added. Representative Glenn Thompson, a Pennsylvania Republican, said he, he wants to pay special consideration to the margins for farmers as members work on the next farm bill. Thompson is the top Republican on the House Agriculture Committee and could helm the farm bill process if Republicans take control of the House. The bottom line is that agriculture is a business. At the end of the day, it's not what you bring in, but the margin you are left with. I have tremendous concerns with where we are headed right now. Talking about holes in the safety net, the farm bill includes a long-standing safety net program that offers some risk protection and financial support to farmers. That includes crop insurance and farm commodity programs, which pay farmers if crop prices drop. But the programs don't account to the current challenges farmers face of rising costs for fuel, fertilizer, pesticides, and seeds. Economists suggested that lawmakers consider pilot programs geared to aid farmers struggling in those margins. Input costs are increasing, and with inflation, you're going to have intense pressure where that safety net will be weakened, said Ronald Rainey, director of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. The big commodity crops, especially corn and wheat, are seeing high prices due in part to the disruption of the global market that is usually uh, bent to Ukraine and Russia as important players. Anticipated prices for 2022 U.S. wheat are currently 50% higher than they were in January, according to Joseph Jansen, an agricultural economist at the University of Illinois, Japan, and Urbana. Futures prices for corn and soybeans are also on the rise, 30% for corn, 20% higher for beans. But agricultural economists told lawmakers that the sky-high prices may give a false impression since farmers are also paying more than ever for fertilizer and fuel. The benchmark prices for crude oil and fertilizer prices have approximately tripled between January of 2021 and March of 2022. Russia and Belarus are also major fertilizer producers and exporters. The, those input prices are expected to stay high for the next few years. What we know is going to happen is prices are going to decline, but input prices are going to stay up while, for a while, and they always do. And that is going to leave people in a cross-price squeeze, said Joe Outlaw, co-director <laughs> of the Agricultural and Food Policy Center at TAMU. Joe Outlaw. That's Paul, brother. Oh. Yeah, seriously. Or or a, a cousin or, or an uncle. <laughs> the high fertilizer prices and energy have both short and long-term effects for agriculture. If, if farmers are respond by planting less and using less fertilizer, they will have a smaller harvest, bringing in less income for their farms and potentially exacerbating rising food costs. So uh, below here, they kind of talk about the uh, farm bill process. Every five years, they kind of go through all the nuts and bolts of it and um, – you know, there's there's certain things that have to go into it, right? So, uh, but the issue is, is that can the government respond quickly enough and be nimble enough to do what needs to be done? Uh, and I don't know. I, I think that's the answer. Is you know, there's the whole you know midterm election thing. Like there, there's a lot at play here, leading into uh, a busy 2023, regardless of. 
uh, how elections turn out and things like that, just from a legislative standpoint, there's a lot of work to do. And, you know, the question is, you know, we will have uh, a better handle on how we've done domestically when it comes to this, right, in terms of the margins that farmers are left with relative to, you know, what they are able to harvest, what they're able to bring to market, and what their input costs are. But is that going to be enough to to set the course for the next five years? Or, gentlemen, do we overshoot the bar? Are we? Is this, you know, a, enough blip on the radar that, you know, in two years prices moderate both in terms of, you know, grain prices of what, you know, people are able to get it for in market and then finally in terms of input prices and now we've overshot with our farm bill and we're subsidizing too much and what are the mechanisms that we'll have to maybe step down the governmental support for some of these programs. I don't know the answer. I am not a legislative expert, but it seems to me that uh, we're trying to predict the future and if there's anything that the last two plus years have taught us, it is that we have no fucking idea what's going to happen, even tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, this will be an interesting exercise to watch them go through. What do y'all think? Well, I think that uh, the present situation, though, is not good because if a grower cuts back on the amount of crop that he's planting, that to me actually leads to a downward spiral because that then decreases the amount of food and commodities available and that raises prices. But when prices go up, does the income of the average working person also go up? No, it doesn't. And so something has to be done somehow, some way, or else we are going to be faced with a Sri Lanka-like situation. Wow. Yes. I, I mean... mean <laughs> I think I think the you know and maybe it's too simplistic of a view, but I think the world is looking to us right now of saying, you know, hey, this is what you are all good at. This is what you're here for is Exit. to feed a uh, well a significant portion. You know, just our farmers, right? You're here to yeah. to feed a significant portion of the world. You know, outside of you know our our domestic needs, and we need you. So mm-hmm. you know, I I I sincerely hope. You know, weather's good. I've seen, you know, some pictures and they're very isolated areas, but, you know, tornadoes or big storms, like straight line winds that have flattened crops, things like that, like just, you know, horrible situations. Um, And I just hope that we don't see a ton of that. I hope that we don't see big hurricanes, you know, on the Gulf Coast that are shutting down oil refineries, like all the things that, you know, that nature could throw at us that would really make an already painful situation really hurt. I hope none of that happens, but uh, for now, I'll be cautiously optimistic. Cautiously, I optimistic, I, I, so. you're, you're seeing it at the grocery store when you go. That there's, there's just not everything's there. I mean, I went today to go yeah. get a pork belly. There was no pork belly. Yeah, not what? I, I, I... No, <laughs> PJs. No, no pork bellies. So I mean, like, 
Yeah. Do I eat a pork belly every day? No. Can I live without it? Yes. But is that an unusual factor for us? Yes. You know, why? And I, I no, you know, yeah. who knows? I think that's what it's gonna be too. It's it's gonna be a lot of how do we learn to not have everything that we absolutely want to have right now uh be here when we need it. And so uh I think that's sort of where the farmers are is they're they're being asked to, you know, put something in our hands that, you know, otherwise wouldn't be there if they didn't do their work and, and didn't put their asses on the line to make sure that happened. And so I think this year it's just a lot more scary, right? It's a lot bigger reward, certainly, but you know, how do you manage and mitigate the risk, just like we were talking about in the previous story. So we'll see what happens. We'll keep our eyes peeled, but uh let's root for farmers this year. Please. The world the world needs them. So all right, with that, we are gonna wrap this thing up. We have uh coming up Thursday, this Thursday, so if you are listening to this when it drops on Wednesday the fifteenth, uh on Thursday the sixteenth, we have a live call in show. Uh it should be a lot of fun. We also have a a uh, plethora of mailbag questions that have poured in here over the last uh, several days here or so. I think uh, uh, things are starting to heat up a little bit out there, boys. And uh, you know, it's not the green grass. It's not the green grass of May, and you know, the sound of music, the hills are alive, any of that stuff. It is now. Ah, oh, shit! That didn't look like that yesterday. What's going on? <laughs> so let's see. Let's see if we can help people through those 80 degree nights, those 100 degree days, and uh, make the turf just a little bit better than we had it yesterday and not, oh shit, that didn't look like that yesterday. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you for your participation. Thanks always for your company. And we'll see you all on the next one.